Welcome back to the Out of State Hunter podcast. I'm excited about today. I have the Utah Division of Wildlife on, and we're going to be talking about Utah and how can non-residents hunt in the great state of Utah. This is going to be very educational for me. I don't know anything about Utah or hunting up there. I know it's a beautiful landscape. I like going up that way, but I don't know how to hunt up there. So this is going to be very educational for me and surely some other people out there. Today I have uh, Rusty Robinson and Lindy Varney on, and I'm gonna give them an opportunity to introduce themselves and what they do for the state of Utah. Um, Rusty, why don't you hop in and give an introduction really quick, what you do and why you do it, how you do it. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, Rusty Robinson, I am the uh, once in a lifetime species coordinator, which is kind of a mouthful. Uh, basically it means I, I just kind of oversee uh, the programs around bighorn sheep, mountain goats, uh, bison, and moose. So all the, the species that are, are that we categorize as once in a lifetime, you can hunt once in a lifetime in Utah. And um, I work out of the, the Salt Lake office and been in a few different um, positions around the state, but um, have, have settled in, in Salt Lake as of lately. Excellent. All right. Thank you for that. Uh, Lindy Varney, give an intro on yourself. Yeah. So I'm Lindy Varney. I am the wildlife licensing coordinator. Um, I oversee the licensing and permitting for the permits and for the state of Utah. So all of our draw permits, I oversee that and permits that you can buy over the counter or, or if you want to go just fish in Utah, we oversee that as well. Okay. Well, you're going to have a big role in today's podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's, um, what I like to do is kind of go through the regulation and give people an idea of what the state regulation has in it. The first thing that comes up when I got into that state regulation was what's new for 2023. Which one of you wants to kind of tackle? There's a few topics here that I want to hit. What's new for 2023, important reminders and important dates. Does one of you want to grab a hold of that and, and hit those topics? Yeah. So the, the main thing that's really new to this to utah is that we moved our big game application period we actually pushed it back um before it's usually during the month of february um but due to public input um, we pushed it back and it won't open up until march 23rd this year and um, so that, that's a, that's a big difference that's a, a new thing that's that's exciting um and when you apply you actually will see permit numbers now um they'll be proposed so they're not like approved yet by our wildlife board, but applicants will be able to go in and actually see proposed numbers for the hunt they want to hunt. Do you so mean like, like how many licenses are available in that unit? Is that what mm -hmm. you're referring to? Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So in the past, we haven't shown how many permits are available for a certain unit you want to apply for um, because our biologists are still gathering all the data to make recommendations to mm -hmm. our wildlife board. But now we're doing it during the same process. Um, so we'll be able to show the public what we're proposing. And okay. they can still make that make that decision based on permit numbers as well, of what they want to hunt. I think that's probably going to play a part in some of the, what we're going to talk about in a little bit with um, some of the tag numbers and allocations and, yep. and things like that. So that'll be, that's good. That's a, a good topic. Um, anything else that's new that's really relevant? One thing I'd add to that, Lindy, is, is uh, under the new system, correct me if I'm wrong, you also have the ability to go in and amend your application um, if you want to change it later within the, the application period. You're right, Rusty. That's a huge one. Um, before, you would have to withdraw your application if you changed your mind or made a mistake. But now this year, you can actually edit your application um, just by switching the hunt unit. You can't switch species. You can't go from deer to elk. But if you decided to hunt, a, you know, apply for a different unit for deer, you can go in and, and edit it during the application period. That's fantastic. So that's another topic that we had later, and which we likely won't come back to because we'll hit it now. But I think that's great because it gives you that opportunity. Everybody second guesses, right? After you put in your yeah. application, you're like, dang it. <laughs> or you hear about 10 other people that maybe applied for it. And you think, I got to get out of that unit. I need to hop over somewhere else. So that's a great addition. I, I would think, I, I think a lot of people are going to be happy about that. So good deal. Yeah. We're excited for it. So good, good, good. What else you got? Or you want to move on to important reminders and important dates? 
Do you want me to talk about the new elk plan a little bit, Lindy? Um, I, I think it would be a good thing to talk about. It, it It's a lot, yeah, a lot of changes. I'm, I'm not sure exactly it. how the, the general season changes affect uh, non-residents, but um, I'll just hit kind of some of the, the highlights of uh, the new elk plan. We just passed a, an elk, a new elk plan. Um, oh, when was that? A couple months ago. Um, but it, there's some there's some pretty significant changes for both general season and limited entry as far as uh, hunting bull elk. Uh, the biggest changes I think with general season are uh, we added some some units or portions of units to the the general season any bull hunts. Um, so there's there's more opportunity, uh, more acreage that that people be allowed to hunt on those. Um, and we split the season instead of one uh, general season any bull uh, season there's now two there's a, a first season that has a quota on it um, or a, a cap as we we call it on the number of permits that can be sold and um, then there's a second season with uh, an, an unlimited quota which is is kind of intended to be your um, harder hunt you know success rates would probably be really really low those elk have been pressured a lot at that point um and and i don't know how those this, those splits affect non-residents as far as um, tag permit allocations maybe lindy can speak to that there's actually not they're um first come first serve we don't um, split the difference we don't do like a 90 10 split um so if non-residents want to try out try elk hunting in utah you know, the general season elk hunt is, is a good way because they can, you know, obtain one of those just through buying it over the counter. How many Basically. of those tags are are there? So this year for the first season, if it's the any bull hunt, there's 15,000 oh. um, permits. And for really? the spike, there's 15,000. So that's some really good opportunity for non-resident hunters then. There's some good opportunity and to be fair, the the general season any bull units are are kind of by design um difficult haunts there there's either low access so there's a lot of wilderness or things like that um you know not the highest density of elk um, there's also a lot of pressure a lot of hunters on the landscape a lot of crowding um, these these are hunts that are designed for opportunity not necessarily for a really quality um, elk hunting experience, if that makes sense. Totally. What about that limited, the the later one? The, uh, yeah, Same. so the later one is is unlimited. Um, anyone can go buy a permit. Uh, however, again, it's probably even a lower quality hunt sure. as far as crowding and and pressured elk and and things like that. But if you want to tag in your pocket and want to go give it a try, that that's one opportunity. Um, with the limited entry part of the new elk plan. Uh, probably the biggest change that would affect non-residents is um, some of the weapons splits ha have changed on some of those limited entry hunts. So um, in the past, and I don't remember exactly what the, the splits used to be, but um, right right now the limited entry, if you let's just take a, a limited entry unit like like the beaver or something, 25% of the permits would go to the archery hunt. 15% would go to the muzzleloader hunt. Um, the, the biggest change is on the early any weapon hunt. This is in the past has been a, um, a, a rifle hunt or any legal weapon hunt in the peak of the rut in September. And it's a really coveted hunt. Uh, that percentage of, of permit allocation was lowered to, to just 10%. And so, and then that was shifted a little bit to where, uh, 30%. So the bulk of those permits are now in the, what we call the mid season, um, any legal weapon hunt, which is in October. So, so lower percentage of permits in September, higher percent in October. Um, and then we have a late hunt that has uh, in November, it has 17% of the permits and then 3% go to a, a multi-season limited entry, uh, hunt. So, um, so yeah, if you're a non-resident, you've been putting in for 25 years for that, that early rifle hunt in September, that's going to be significantly harder to, to draw now, um, especially as a non-resident. Okay, gotcha. 
Um, anything else on that new system? Uh, probably the only other thing I could think of is um, all those units now will have a, uh, a late archery hunt um, that's, that's like later near like December timeframe um, where, and, and it's very minimal permits. It's 1% of the overall permits on that unit or a minimum of five permits. And so my guess is most of those units will have five permits available, which one would go to a non-resident. So four would go to resident, one would go to a non-resident. So that would be an available hunt, but, but also very difficult to draw, I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there's probably a lot of applications for that. Um, okay, let's go back to important reminders. Is there any reminders that are, uh, I, and things, things that I think of when I think of important reminders? Do you have uh, big game surveys that need to be done at the end of the year? Is there anything like that? that is there any important things that if you don't do it, that you won't be able to apply for next year? We do have that. Um, like if you drew out for a limited entry or a once in a lifetime hunt, that's the only time it would affect people. Um, if you don't complete that harvest survey, then you are, are ineligible to apply for this year. So if you haven't completed it, go complete it and pay the $50 late fee. Um, so you can you know, submit your application for the 2023 season, but we don't have any other like requirements. Okay. What's the deadline? Obviously we're already passed. If you're saying pay the $50 um, late fee, but what is the the normal? It's thirty demo. days after your hunt ends. Oh wow! So probably way late on some of those. Yeah, and and I feel for you if you forgot to do that because I, I forgot to do that this year and I had to pay fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah, like I I I thought I forgot one in Arizona, which isn't near as nearly as costly, but I thought I did. I had to go check. One of my friends texted me and said, ah, "I forgot Arizona's thing," so I had to check. Um, Okay, good. So there's nothing really as far as important reminders. Get those surveys done. And is that only for once in a lifetime or what else did you it's say? It, it's limited for? entry permit. Okay. So a general season tag, there is no harvest no. survey. Okay. There's no mandatory survey for those. Okay. What about in important dates? So you already said the application opens March 23rd. When does that close? Yeah, so it opens March 23rd at 8 a.m. Mountain Time. Um, and it will close on April 27th at 11 p.m. Mountain Time. Is that for all species? Yep, and that's for general season, limited entry, and once in a lifetime. They're all lumped into one application. We don't divide it out like some states where, you know, this is for pronghorn or elk. Or we just, it's all for all of our big game species. Fantastic. All of that splitting it up makes me forget. So yep. I like doing it all at one time. Yep, um, we do it all at once. And then... So Go ahead, go ahead. Say results um, will be posted May 31st. Oh, wow. That's great. So, yeah, okay. so you'll get an email from us on May 31st letting you know if you were successful or not. So. Okay. Do uh, I'll just ask this now since we're kind of talking about dates and stuff. Do you guys uh, pay up front or do you pay when you successfully draw the tag? When you successfully draw a tag. Okay. The only thing that Utah requires is the $15 non-refundable application fee. And is that so, that's the same for resident and non-resident? It, it's months? not. We resident is ten dollars, non-resident it is fifteen. Okay. Well, it's fifteen still. That's a great price. So, yeah, yeah, it's okay. still relatively good. Um, yeah. And it's it's fifteen per application. So if you're applying for deer, elk, and pronghorn, it's fifteen dollars each. Okay. Yeah. So um, then this rolls me right into license requirements for non-residents. So what is required? What what do I have to have? in order to apply? And then what do I have to have in order to be on the mountain? Yeah, so to apply, you have to have a valid hunting or combination license. We require everyone to have that resident or non-resident. Um, um, the good thing though is it only needs to be valid when you apply. So let's say it expires on June 1st. We don't require you to go purchase another one if you do draw out for that elk tag. You just need that elk tag in your pocket to go hunting. Okay, so the, li the basically the combo license is your your ticket into the entry, right into yep. the application process. Yep. Okay. And, but you don't need it valid on the field. Just when you apply. Okay. So that gotcha. that's a nice thing. So if it does expire before your elk hunt, you can wait till the next year to to purchase the new 
hunting or combination license. Okay. But so if you're I, up, up, but, up there on the mountain and want to be able to shoot a grouse or something, you've got to have a valid license. That combo license? Or is there is there a separate like small game? There's or, a non-residence is only only combo. Okay, um, gotcha. So when they buy a license, they can they can hunt and fish on that license. Perfect. Yeah, we That's, offer a hunting license. They can buy either or. So if oh. you're just tagging along with your buddy and your buddy's got the elk tag and you want to shoot some grouse or catch some fish or something, you better have that combo license and your buddy needs that elk tag. Yep. And, okay. So. That's where I'm mistaken, I guess. I thought non-residence was only a combo license, but maybe I'm wrong. No, we, we allow them to to pick a, a hunting or a combo, but if they pick the hunting license, they can't fish unless they actually, the one perk about drawing out as a non-resident, that big game permit does allow you to fish in Utah. Oh, that that's where I'm getting confused, I guess. Yeah. Um, so if you happen to draw out for that, that coveted deer tag or the general season deer tag and you're non-resident, you can still fish as long as you have your deer permit on you. That's cool. That's good. So that, that hunting license or that, that elk or deer or whatever it is, gets you a lot in, in the state. What's it, what's the combo license cost and then the hunting license? So how much am I out when I, when I'm putting in my application, how much is coming out of my pocket on March 23rd? Yeah, so if you just wanted to buy this, the hunting license itself, it's seventy-two dollars. Okay. And then if you decide to go for the combo because you want to do it all, you know, make sure you fish, hunt, whatever, it's ninety-eight. Okay. Plus fifteen to apply, and yep. then if you draw. And then, then if you draw, just come on the yeah. 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 Take out that bank loan. Yep. <laughs> we'll get to cost on. We'll get to cost of tax here shortly because they're not terrible, right? They're yeah, competitive with them. Yeah, it's competitive with other states. Uh, what about hunter education? Is that yeah, mandatory? It is if you're born after December thirty first, nineteen sixty five. So okay. if you were before born before nineteen sixty five, you're good. But after that, we do require um, a certified hunter education course from any state. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yep. do do you guys validate those or are you just required to have it in your pocket while you're out running around? Um, no, when you apply, um, if we don't have verification of it, you just say that you have taken the course and then law enforcement does do, do random checks um, with applications and they may contact a non-resident and say, hey, can you show me your proof? But we don't require you to keep your blue card on you when you're in the field. Okay. Is um, pictures? Would that be like if a fishing game guy came up and said, and, and you ran into them and you had a picture of your hunter safety and your license and all that stuff on your phone? Is that acceptable or no? Um, it depends on law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure, yeah. They probably have that leniency, but okay. So it is required uh, post-1965 to have some sort of hunter education and to be able to say that you have it on application yeah. day. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. but we don't require you to keep it in your pocket when you're in the field. So, gotcha. Okay, I think that's it as far as kind of that administrative important stuff that I had. You guys have anything else to touch on on any of those topics? If you got a question, read the regulation. <laughs> that's yeah, what I tell right. people. And that's, you know, that's a great point. Like we do have a lot of this stuff in the guidebook, and the guidebooks are on our website. So if you you know want to get more deep into the weeds, you can look at our guidebook that we publish every year about everything and anything that you have questions about. And they can be confusing to, to somebody who's first coming out here. So you can always call one of our offices too. And, and you know, if it's a law enforcement question, they can put you in touch with an officer. Or, um, yeah, they'll, they'll get somebody to answer those questions for you. Yeah, I've been on phone for an hour plus with people explaining it. So it's not uncommon for, for non-residents to call and we're glad to help out any way we can. Yeah, good. Um, I might be wrong on this. Is Utah the state that there's like three books? There's a big game book, there's a hunting regulation book, and then there's a mountain goat book, or am I thinking of a different state? We just have two. You have two. What do you have? Two for big game, but then yeah, game. there's, there's yeah. more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So big game, we've got two. Okay. And it seems like I, I looked through those when I was preparing these show notes and a lot of the, the 
regulation stuff is similar, but it's the species information that's different, right? So you're, you're still going to get the same rules, but when it comes to the species, that's where the different information comes. Is that right? Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So there's an app for big game. There's an application guidebook that lists all the hunts. So you can go through and see what you want to put in for. And then there's field regulations, just general hunting regulations um, for when you're hunting big game. Okay. And then okay. in addition, we have upland game guidebook. We have fur bear. We have um, black bear, cougar, waterfowl. Turkey, so yeah, just, grouse, right. swan. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. All right, so I'm going to move on a little bit here and, and step it up a little bit. Um, how is Utah broken out? Are you, do you guys have game management units, or is it in regions, or do you apply for just a general statewide uh, application? How are you guys broke out as far as units go? So this is kind of a two two part question. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I can let Rusty talk about the how we're broken out in units because you know he's the biologist, and then I can he, talk about how you apply. Yeah, I, I think historically. Utah's been a, a mule deer state. I mean, that's kind of our bread and butter. And and so um, the state's broken out in really 30, I guess Antelope Island would be the number 31, but really 30 um, deer units that we speak in those those terms. Um, so you can apply for, for those deer units. Uh, but then there's, you know, elk units that may or may not be the same as the deer unit. They may be smaller. They may be expanded. Um, so you can stop me anytime, Wendy, but we have a lot, a lot of different units, a lot of different boundaries, depending on what we're trying to do with management. If you get into antlerless, it's even uh, more complicated because, you know, there may be small areas where we're trying to manage cow elk a, a very particular way or big, broad areas where, where, um, you know, we're more flexible in how we harvest. So, yeah, and but all those units can or and all those boundaries um, can be found on the Utah Hunt Planner, mm -hmm. and so you can literally go in there and there's drop-down menus. You can sort by uh, name, you know, unit name, or you can sort by species. I can type in elk, you know, um, bull elk, limited entry, and then I can see all those units and where they how they shape out. And. Yeah, one of the things that's different about Utah versus some other states, we actually, like Rusty said, we're a, more of a deer state. And so we actually have two different types of opportunities to hunt deer. We have our general season deer and we have our, our limited entry deer. And that's based on how our biologists manage those those deer herds. Um, so when you talk about like, you know, we have 30 units, a lot of those are, are general season units. Um, so that, which, what, what that means is that they're managed, they're managed as a, a lower buck to doe ratio. And so we offer a lot more permits for those hunts. So it's easier to draw out. You're more likely to draw out one of those um, hunts, you know, every couple of years versus some of the limited entry deer units where they're managed a higher buck to doe ratio. Those are gonna take, years to draw out for because they only offer a handful of permits especially as a non-resident um you know a lot of in utah we try to stick to 90 percent of our permits go to residents 10 percent go to non-residents so that's you know so it is a little bit harder to draw out for um but they're quality hunts so that's so that's one thing that is a little bit different than some of the other western states is that we have preference points and bonus points. We'll get to that in, in just a minute because I, I want to talk about those. Yeah. Um, but so I want to go back and make sure I got something correct. General season tags are there's no resident, non-resident quota. There's no split. It's the no, limited they're, entry that's 90-10? No, they both have the 90-10 split. Oh, okay. I thought, what was it earlier that you said there was no distinction between resident and non-resident? The general season elk. Elk. Okay. That's, gotcha. That's over count over the counter permit. And so we, those don't even are not in the draw. Those are something that they can purchase in during the summertime after the big game results are posted. But yeah, those okay. are the ones. But everything else that goes through a draw is usually a 90-10 split. 
Okay, got now I totally understand. All right. Um, if listeners don't understand and there's questions, call the Utah Division of Wildlife, call one of these great people and they can explain it to you. Or there's, again, there's a regulation you can refer to and um, pick out that information. How does the process work for a, a non-resident hunter? And when I say, how does the process work? Because you just gave a very good description of the general season and the, the limited entry. How do I do it, right? If I want to apply, what's the, how do, where do I even start? Yeah, so the, the best place, my recommendation when someone calls and asks me that is, first place I would go is the hunt planner. What mm-hmm. Rusty, you know, what he said. Do some research. Find out where you want to hunt in Utah because Utah is very diverse in our landscape um you know the northern part is very different than the southern part of utah so i would research where you want to hunt look at our draws and that's all on the hunt planner you can look there you know see what what it is and the nice thing about the hunt planner is our biologists actually put notes in there um, about the unit and so you kind of have some tips from our biologists that oversee those units so that's my first recommendation to anyone um, and then, so once you've done that, done some research, the next thing would be is to go online and, and go to our website to submit an application once it opens up. You know, we talked about the valid hunting license. You'd have, you have to have that. Um, and then, you know, we verify all your demographic information. We want to know who you are and where you live and, you know, how much you weigh. We like to know everything. Okay. <laughs> and so, um, and the beauty about it actually is as a non-resident, um, you get to apply for everything in Utah. You can apply for our limited entry buck deer, bull elk, and buck pronghorn. Um, nice. as, a, as a resident, you only get to pick one. But since we do, oh, really? only, yeah, we only offer a few tags to our non-residents because of the, that split. Mm-hmm. We give them an opportunity to go for all of them because their odds are not, you know, they sure. have only so many tags. Right, right. Um, and then, so they can pick between those. And then we also allow them to pick all of our once in a lifetime species as well. So we have moose, bison, mountain goat, rocky bighorn sheep, and desert bighorn sheep in Utah. So they can apply for all of those as well. Okay. Um, but one thing they need to remember is you only can draw out for one of those. You can't draw out for more than one. Just because you put in nine applications or eight, eight applications you only get one of them so then um i'll ask this to rusty and then we'll move on when it comes to that once in a lifetime how, how does that work so does it go down the list and if you have moose as your number one choice all the moose tags are gone does it bump down to number two and so on or how's that once in a lifetime draw well, work? lindy's probably a, a better person to oh okay that. yeah the yeah, licensing sorry. process is is a black box to me uh, especially with non-residents Okay, well then, Lindy, I'll let you take it. Yeah, so like when we do the draw process, we actually look at the limited entry applications first. Um, so we'll run the the sequence for those, and then once it comes to once in a lifetime, we do like moose first, and if you don't draw for your moose, then we'll look at your bison application. If you don't draw for bison, we'll look at um, goat, and then we'll look at rocky, and then desert. Okay, gotcha. So, very good. So it goes limited entry first yeah. and then, all right. Yeah. Okay. And if you have you, for your limited entry tag, when they, you know, if they apply for those as well, they're automatically excluded from the once in lifetime hunts. Okay. That was my next question. Is it, do you, so really non-residents only draw on one species in Utah? One. Yeah. One. Uh, what about elk, deer, and pronghorn? You only get one. Only one. Okay. So you're only getting one hunt in Utah. Yeah. And that's cool. how it is for residents. You know, residents can apply for one limited entry and one once a time, but they only get one of them. That's okay. Gotcha. Okay, good. Good, good. All right. That that is good. So all um when you how many per species, how many units can you choose per application? Yeah, so that varies. So for a limited entry, um, you can pick two different units. So when it comes to your deer, elk, and pronghorn you can pick two units when it comes to your once in a lifetime we only give you one option okay so then that makes the next question pretty easy at least for once in a lifetime but for the for deer elk pronghorn 
do you look at both choices when that person's number comes up or do you look at the first choice and then all the way across the board and then come back? Yep. So in Utah, we evaluate everyone's first choice first. Mm -hmm. So we'll look at applicant one, look at their first choice. And if they aren't successful, you know, then we go to the next applicant two's first choice and go all the way down. And then once we've looked at everyone's first choice, we'll go up to the people that did not draw in the first round and look at their second choice and see if they would have drawn a tag or not. Does it often, does it make it to the second round usually? Or is or are all the tags pretty much gone in the first round? They're pretty much gone. Okay. But so uh, that, so then kind of, I guess you would want to put the the best odds for the hunt, right? You probably want to put that first instead of, there's a lot of states where you do that oh, I have 0.5% chance on the first round. And then, you know, I take my 50% and then 100% for my third choice or whatever. But it sounds like if you want to hunt Utah, you need to put the higher odds as your number one choice. If you want to hunt in Utah, you put, yeah, what hunt you want first in Utah. Like if yeah. you want to wait the, the 20, 25, 30 years for that coveted Henry, Henry Mountains buck deer tag, then you put that as your first choice. Because yeah. if you put it as your second, you'll never get it because never it knows. that will always be gone through the first round because we only offer a few permits for that unit. Hmm. What kind of bucks get pulled out of that? Big ones. <laughs> big, big, big bucks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, two, 200 inch plus is oh, not, okay. not uncommon. All right, then. It's one of our um, premier units. Yeah, all right. Uh, okay, so let me catch up on my notes because we rolled through several of these. How many have choices? Okay, pay up front. Well, we talked about that, right? You, go ahead. There's one thing I want to point out. Um, you know, we keep talking about limited entry and once in a lifetime. You know, and we talk about how many hunt choices you, you can get. Well, earlier I mentioned that we have, you know, general season deer. Mm -hmm. And with general season there, it's a whole different preference point. There's a different point system. And we actually allow you to put in five hunt choices for that one. Okay. And that one, you may get your third or fourth choice because those are the hunts that we, you know, manage to a lower buck to doe ratio. And we, you know, give a lot more permits. So, okay. so sometimes there's even, you know, leftover tags yeah. at the end of the draw period where, where nobody you know, drew, drew those and then they go over the counter, but um, probably, you know, only a couple units a year, maybe if that, that, that go to that point. But yeah, there are some units that you could, you could theoretically draw it on your third, fourth, fifth choice. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, what about hunting as a party or a group? How do you recommend some, if there's a few old buddies coming from Kentucky and they want to hunt in Utah should they apply or apply as a group or are you recommending that over the counter option? What's, what do you think for a group or a party? Mm -hmm. You know, my personal recommendation or my professional <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> well, let's, we can do both, I guess, but. You know, group applications, they are, there are some pros to them, but there's also a lot of cons to, pro, to group applications, um, especially as a non-resident. Um, if you're playing as a, for the general season deer hunt, group applications are not a bad way to go if you and your buddies from Kentucky want to come out. Um, because like when you apply as a group, you can apply up to four members in, in that group. You can, all four of you would draw. It's all or nothing. You know, you, know, you all draw a permit or you all don't draw. Um, so since we offer a lot more permits, it's more likelihood that you guys could draw. Um, if you okay. do that with limited entry and you put all four of you in and we only offer three tags, so to say, your whole group's going to get skipped. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to evaluate you because we don't have enough permits to give your group. And so, like I said, they have pros and cons. Okay. So, this kind of gets away from the group application, but I, I totally get what you're saying about, about the group. I, so let me ask this. When I so you have this new feature in your application where it shows you how many tags are potentially mm -hmm. allocated per code per hunt code when you're looking at that. As a non-resident, when they're looking at those codes and they see five tags available, or they see fifteen, or they see a hundred, what's that golden number? There's got to be a number somewhere where it's like I shouldn't even apply because I don't even percentage-wise, I, I literally cannot draw this tag. 
Is there a number that, that it hits at? Is there five? Is there 10? There's always a chance, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's the whole thing. There's always a chance. It's just, you know, with the new feature this year, I'm looking at permit numbers. If you're a group of three and we only offer four tags, you know, kind of think of it like your odds are going to be harder to get yeah, them. Yeah, sure. To, but well, if, or you're a group of three and we only offer two tags, it's pointless for you to apply for because sure. we'll automatically skip you. Right. Um, so then I guess in the, in the, the way I'm doing the math in my head, and this is a, a individual, not party. Okay. If I see 10 tags, then nine of those are going to go to a resident and one is going to go to a non-resident. Is there, do you have hunt codes that have five tags that I shouldn't even apply for because I, I just can't? We won't allow non-residents to apply for hunt that doesn't have any tags for Okay, good. The system doesn't even allow you to do that. So, so yeah. okay, that that's great. That's really yeah. really good input. When, when we yeah. make recommendations, it always rounds up. So, if we recommend five permits or higher, if we recommend five permits, it would it would automatically round up to ten, so to speak, and give it would still only be five permits, but but a non-resident would get one of those permits. So we'd be four resident. And one non-resident. Okay. So, okay, good. So, the, a non-resident yeah. has a chance. So, almost the best way to do it is to go go on our website and go under, um, you know, big game. I don't know exactly where it is, but there's a, a draw drawing odds. There's a couple best, of links there. Best thing to do is just in the search bar, put draw odds in our yeah. search bar. Because I and, never remember the whole sequence to get there either and it'll give you a whole report whether it's once in a lifetime or whether it's limited entry in general season um but you can look at those reports and it has it separated out by odds of drawing by residents and by non-residents so you can go in there and find a particular hunt it'll tell you how how many people put in for it last year exactly how many um how many drew it with the max points and how many drew it, you know, with the lower the point holders as, as a as a bonus draw? Because maybe Lindy could talk about this too, but we, we split it up to where half the permits go to the max point holders and half of them go to a random draw. So it's just how many times, how many, however many points you have is how many times your, your name is in the hat, um, so to speak. So, um, so you can see your odds of being the top point holder. You can also see your odds of just drawing it outright just by random chance. And and because every hunt's going to be different, right? Whether it's, um, you know, not all 10 tag units are created equal. Some of them are going to have more applicants, more coveted, uh, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, let's talk about bonus points and preference points because I know Lindy's on a bit of a time limit. So this is something that I really wanted to hit is um, what are your bonus points? What are preference points? And why and how are they important to a non-resident and how do we use them? I know that's a lot of parts. I have them written yeah. down here so we can break those down if you want. But let's start yeah. with what are bonus points and what are preference points? Yeah, so our bonus points are just for our limited entry and once-in-lifetime species. Um, so like I mentioned before, that's all of our like moose, bison, goat, and sheep. And then limited entry deer, elk, and pronghorn. So they only apply for those for big game. Um, and, you know, we kind of use it as the best way I define um, bonus points is when there's not a su sufficient number of permits for all applicants to be successful every few years. So if it's going to take a long time to draw that permit, it's kind of categorized as a bonus point species. Okay. Um, and then we have our preference points, and those apply to our general season species. And it's kind of opposite, though, you know, the best way to define preference points is for those that can draw every few years. We have enough permits, a sufficient number, number of permits to, for them to draw every few years. And okay. so that's and then um, one thing that, you know, Rusty mentioned. So the bonus and preference do have some differences to them. Bonus points, 50% um, of our permits go to our max point holders. Um, so if you've got the max point for that particular hunt number, 50% of those permits will go to those guys. And then 50% goes to everyone else um, as a random. Hmm. That's okay. So we, we take the lowest drawn numbers and that's how we, you know, decide who draws a permit. But 
That's the big significant difference is 50% go to our max point holders. So the more points you have, the better chances you're drawing out because you have a certain allotment of, of permits given to you guys. Sure. How do I obtain bonus points and preference points? Yeah, so um, every single time you apply for, for a certain species and you're unsuccessful, you are awarded a, a bonus point. Okay. Or can if I- you decide that you can't hunt this year in Utah, you can just purchase the, the bonus point for the non-refundable $15 application fee. Okay, yeah. Do I have to have a license, that combo mm-hmm. license to buy a point? You do still have to have that license because in the state of Utah, you have to be eligible for the permit to be eligible for the point. Okay. So if you're on revocation for a certain species, you still can't go buy a point for that species because you're not eligible to hunt that species. Okay. How do I get a preference point? Same way. You apply um, for general season deer. And if you are unsuccessful, you automatically are awarded a, a point. Or you can just purchase one. Okay. So, so you kind of got to know how you want to hunt, right? If you are game planning or strategizing for hunting in Utah, if I if I think I want to hunt a limited entry, very high quality deer in ten years, I start buying bonus points. If I just want to hunt every few years, I need to be buying preference points. So here's the catch in Utah: we allow you. There's to always points. a catch. <laughs> we allow you to apply for limited entry deer and general season deer but you only can draw out for one of them okay so we know that you want that coveted deer hunt that's going to take you know 10 plus years but we're still going to allow you to obtain a permit every few years to hunt the lesser you know lower buck to doe ratio units so we don't say so if you want to hunt deer in utah you know to me come get your general season deer tag every few years while you're trying to achieve that limited entry hunt. So buy a point and come out every few years and hunt general season. Yep. Can I, when I'm buying points, can I buy both a bonus, a bonus and a preference? Yep. Okay. So just 30 bucks instead of 15 plus my license fees. And I get that. I don't know if we ever got to what the prep, the preference point, what that looks like. Lenny, we talked about bonus points where it's, half go to the highest point holder and half go to the random, but maybe explain if you could yeah. the, the preference point system, because it's different. It is different. Um, we don't give 50% to our max point holders because we are giving those people that have the most points preference. That's why we kind of call it a, a preference point. So we evaluate the applicants with the highest preference points first. So we'll look at everyone that has like four preference points. We look at all of their first choice applications before we go to the next to people, the applicants with three points. So okay. if you've got the most preference points, we want to make sure that you get your preferred hunt before someone else that's applied a year less than you have. And we look at everyone's first choice first. And then once we evaluate everyone, we'll go back up to the, the highest preference point holder and look at their second choice if they were unsuccessful in the first round. And then we go through all five choices. So I think basically what that means for the non-resident is if there's 20 non-resident permits on a unit, if you're not one of the highest 20 point holders, you're not going to drop a permit. And I can find that information in the draw odds. I did a search on the big game website and I can look in the draw odds at last year and I can get a very rough mm-hmm. estimate of, of what potentially this year might look like. So yeah. if, if everybody kind of drew last year on five points and I have two, I'll probably how to look at another unit. It's kind of a fun unit, game, right? though. It adds this component to it because everyone's looking at those, right? Yeah. And they can go, ooh, I, you know, here's here's what this unit's looking like. I'm going to jump ship and I'm going to go over here. And then you find out that everyone jumps ship. <laughs> everybody and that. That. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that's sure. why we like, never say that nothing's 100% guaranteed in, you know, when you have that number of points. Because Rusty said it, people jump ship a lot in Utah. They look at those draws and they they play around. Um, it's pretty fun to watch. A couple of more questions. Again, I know we're getting kind of short on time here. Um, we already talked about changing your selections, so that's a new thing for this year. You can change yep. after you apply. What about um, if you if you are successful in the draw, can you turn your license back in and get a refund if you can't do that hunt? 
Yeah. Um, so we do allow hunters to surrender their permit if something comes up. Because we know life happens. You know, things come up. You're, you know, one of your child gets married or whatever. Um, but we do have a penalty if you surrender your permit. Um, if you surrender your permit more than 30 days before the hunt starts, you'll uh, receive all your points back minus the one for the current year. So you'll get the points back for what you use, but you don't get one for the, your application that you submitted this year. Okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. And then we do refund limited entry and once in a lifetime um, hunts. It's, there's just a $25 handling fee. So you'll get the permit fee minus $25. Okay. Wow. That's very but, kind of you. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people yeah. just rip it all and take it. You do yeah. have to surrender it more than 30 days before the hunt starts to get that refund. Right. Right. If After that 30 day or inside of that 30 days, it's just. Well, that's the catch right there. If you surrender your permit less than 30 days, you receive no points back and no mm -hmm. refund. Yeah. Okay. So that's when we get kind of saying, hey, you know, it's hard for us to reallocate that permit, get it back out. Sure. You're losing opportunity. Sorry. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's right. And so that just goes to call, being on the phone and talking to the, to you guys if you're getting yeah. short on time and making sure yeah, so everything's communicated with the way that you want to turn that thing in or surrender it, I guess. Yeah, we really do encourage everyone to, you know, go out and hunt on the permit that they drew. But we do understand that life happens. Um, yeah. You know, we do have in some circumstances where we do full refunds and full points. Like if you're ill or injured, something happens to you and you haven't hunted. But, you know, let, if that happens, call the division. Give us a call and we'll walk you through the process. Yeah, good. Is there anything else before you hop off? I know we're down to the wire here. Is there anything else that you want to hit on the draw process? And then I'm thinking Rusty and I might be able to walk through some of these last few this uh, admin type stuff. You know what? I'm I'm I've got about 20 minutes. So okay. Oh well, we got all kinds of time then. Um, we okay. So over the counter opportunities. I know we've touched on it a little bit. But what is out there? So if, if I'm coming out, what all animals am I able to hunt over the counter? If we're just talking big game, um, it's it's fairly limited. You know, we talked about the the any bull hunts, which are the general season over the counter type hunt. Um, there's also a spike hunt that's that's over the counter uh, where you, you get to hunt the, the limited entry elk units, um, <clears throat> but you can only harvest a, a spike elk. Um, is that, a, is that about it, Lindy? Um, you've got your bison permit on the nine mile unit. That is true. Yep. Yep. Um, any antelope, any antelope over the counter? No bear. antelope over the counter, no bear. Well, harvest objective, but you know. Yep. There are some, there are some harvest objective, uh, some bear tags. Cougar. There's some harvest objective, um, cougar tags and then you know upland game stuff like that those are all over the counter okay. except for except for turkey yeah um, turkeys require a permit um swans require a permit what else is there we got sage grouse requires permits sandhill cranes require a permit okay Basically, so if you want to hunt in utah the best way to do it is to apply for the permit because we do have a limited number of permits and don't have a lot of over-the-counter opportunities. Okay, good. That's that's a good chunk of info right there. Um, price of tags, we don't really need to bang to be that up too much. What, let's just hit the top three. If I want an elk tag out of out of state, uh, what's the cost on elk, deer, and antelope? Yeah, so limited limited entry elk, you're at a thousand dollars. So that's the one that you draw out for. Okay. If you're wanting the one that like Rusty's talking talking about that you can buy over the counter, um, it is five hundred and ninety three dollars. Okay, but that's a much tougher hunt. It's a much tougher, less successful hunt. Um, okay, what about and then deer limited dog? entry deer, you're looking at um, six hundred and fifty as the lowest, up to thirteen hundred. Okay. So it just depends on if you're doing the multi-season or premium. So it just depends on what you apply for and draw out. Okay. If you're doing general season deer, you're looking at 393. 
Okay. And then pronghorn, it's $337. Okay. We only have one, one price for pronghorn. Gotcha. Okay. And then just to throw this out, all of our once in lifetime species that we talked about, they're all $2,200. Okay. So. Really? That, that's actually pretty darn good for. Like I said, Utah's similar. actually, yeah, we're, we're pretty, you know, we want to cover the so, cost of managing them, but not like gouge everyone. Yeah. The, um, it seems, all of that seems very reasonable. And I, it sounds to me like there's also enough opportunity to apply in that draw and still be successful in at least every few years and be able to come out and hunt without having those over-the-counter tags that, you know, so many people just jump on and then you end up overcrowding. Sounds like there's really good opportunity in Utah. So that's really cool to hear. Yeah, definitely for general season. That's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, moving on here. Do you guys have any CWD that needs to be checked or, or is that a concern in Utah? Um, it is a concern. Uh, we don't have as high of prevalences as, as some of the other states, um, like Colorado and Wyoming, things like that. But we do have some CWD positive units. Uh, a couple of years ago, we, we, uh, added a law where, um, if, if you were, if you killed an animal in another state like Colorado and, and are, are taking it home to Utah. So this would apply to basically Utah residents. You, you have to, you can't bring spinal tissue or, or skull tissue or, or brain tissue um, into the state. It has to be a, a clean skull and things like that. Um, I, we don't enforce anything leaving Utah and going home to another state if you're non-resident. However, we, we respect and encourage people to to follow their state's law as far as importing those animals back to their home state yeah good okay how about properly tagging an animal what's the what's the tagging process and by that i mean um do you tag the antler of a deer do you tag the meat of the deer how do you how do you tag it yeah so uh don't tag the antler um tagging requirements are um obviously so our our tags come in um they're kind of two parts, but they're connected. Uh, one part is the information of the hunt, your personal information, things like that. And then you have the actual tag part that you detach. And then it's got little notches you cut out for the date, um, the the sex, things like that. And then you would attach that tag or permit to um, the largest portion of meat. So, okay. so for an elk, you know, that would be like a hind quarter if you're quartering it out or or if you're boning it out, it's whatever is the largest portion of meat. Um, if you attach it to the antlers, that that it doesn't qualify. So, um, so yeah, attach the largest portion of meat. You also need to uh, retain the proof of sex uh, on on that as well. Okay. Um, naturally and, attached. And the, uh, antlers, and the antlers aren't proof of sex either, uh, unless they're attached to the whole carcass. Uh, but if it, the skull is, the head is detached, that doesn't qualify as proof of sex. Okay. Um, blaze orange? What about blaze orange? What's the requirement? Uh, it has to be 400 square inches on the chest, back, and head. So, um, but it's it's only for, um, I, I'll just read it so I don't like tell everybody the wrong thing, but it says you must wear a minimum of 400 square inches of hunter orange material on your head, chest, and back while hunting any species of big game. Um, and there's some, some exceptions, uh, once in a lifetime hunts, you don't have to wear orange. Um, if it's an archery muzzleloader or hams hunt, which is our kind of our short range weapon, uh, handgun, archery, muzzleloader, shotgun hunts. Um, you don't have to wear orange, uh, unless, uh, CWU hunts, you don't have to wear orange. Um, so the exception is, even if you are hunting with archery tackle, you have an archery permit, but there is an overlapping general season, any legal weapon hunt going on in the same place at the same time, then you're required to wear orange. And there's gotcha. even an, ex there's even an exception to that. <laughs> so we like to make things complicated. <laughs> um, we do have a, go uh, to our guidebook. <laughs> yeah, go to the guidebook. Yeah. Go, okay. yeah I'm not going to try to list them all out, but, uh, the general rule is, yeah, if it's a rifle hunt or any legal weapon hunt, 
you need to wear hunter orange or if it overlaps with a general season rifle hunt, you need to wear orange. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Check the, check the guidebook on that. Check the guidebook. Uh, just a couple more things, uh, weapons requirements. So is there, um, this can probably, this is probably a very deep rabbit hole and we'll try to stay shallow on it. Uh, is there a poundage of bow that's required? Can you have mechanical broadheads or is it fixed broadheads? What's as far as archery tackle? Um, I think it's a minimum pull of 30 pounds. So I think, I think some States are 40 or a little bit less than that. Um, yeah, again, go to the guidebook. There's there's certain specifications on uh, the broadhead, you know, how, how big it needs to be, that sort of thing. Um, how the length of arrows got to be 20 inches long at least. Um, so, yeah, go to the guidebook on that as well. Okay. I, I guess but, we can we refer to that. To, we tried to include, you know, tried to set those regulations so that a youth can, you know, who has a hard time operating a, you know, heavy poundage bow and things like that, they're still able to participate in the archery hunt scopes on muzzle loaders can you have a scope on a muzzle loader yes that was a, that was a pause there that's, that's the short <laughs> but, answer but yes. right is there a there's a there's a technology committee that's convening that's meeting right now and discussing a lot of uh technology related issues one of them uh being scopes on muzzle loaders so yeah. uh I don't think any of us know what the results of that committee are going to be yet. That's why we hesitated. The, well, the only reason I ask is because we just removed them here in New Mexico. Gotcha. So we yeah. we did have that. It was forty five caliber, and you could scope them up and you, I mean, you know, shoot bombs out there at seven hundred yards if you wanted yeah. to. And they took I, that I think scope five or six off. years ago, it was only you know only um, one power scopes were allowed, um, and then then we went to multi power scopes. And it seems like, you know, that's being questioned again. So, okay. Gotcha. Um, I think that's, that's really it. Did we miss anything? Is there anything that you guys want to circle back to or touch on that I forgot to ask or that we just didn't touch? I'll defer to Lindy. She's much smarter than I am. <laughs> you know, we love non-residents. We love them applying. We love them coming to Utah. Um, Utah is a very complex state when it comes to applying and figuring out what you can and can't do. Please don't hesitate to reach out. You know, we have staff that are here for that. So don't hesitate if you have questions. Um, we understand that it, it is a confusing process. And, you know, um, just remember our application. Once the application is over, you know, you can't apply for that species. You have to wait till next year if you want to try to hunt that elk, you know, in Utah. Gotcha. And I will just point very quickly. So on their their website, that hunt planner, I had never seen that hunt planner before. But as we were talking about it earlier, I was clicking around and playing with it. And it's pretty intuitive little feature. So that could be a good resource if somebody is looking at Utah. Um, what about so speaking of resources? Uh, do you guys have any external resources or any anything that you want to point listeners to that that where they might is there a YouTube page? Do you guys have outside of Hunt Planner? Is there other stuff? So mainly we have our website, which is wildlife.utah.gov, um, where we we can link you to our YouTube our YouTube page. We have you know Instagram, Twitter, you know, Facebook. Follow us. We always have a little tidbits here and there we like to have new information out if things are coming or changing um that you know our website is a great resource and that's the best place to find the hunt planner and you know again it, it links to everything from there if you, if you want to yeah there's a lot going on on that website so i i had never really looked at it too much because like i said i've never applied in utah and, and um, i don't know much about it just I, today, I though, I learned a lot by just reason through it why we've been on the phone here. I did, too. I've never been a non-resident, so Lindy taught me a lot. <laughs> but I I would just add, you know, use that use that hunt planner, Utah hunt planner. Is it just utahhuntplanner.com or something like that? If you just Google Utah hunt planner, yeah, it'll, it will it'll come up. right up. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, so I found it under the maps. So once you get into the website and you click in hunting and then I clicked on yeah. the maps, drop down. So, in so the, I would definitely use that tool, especially as a non-resident. And I would definitely use the, the drawing odds 
um, spreadsheet and, and play. Cause I think, especially as a non-resident, you'll be surprised that, um, you know, we all have these big dreams of going shooting a 380 inch or 400 inch bull on these premier units. And, and you look at those draws and you realize, okay, unless I have 26 points, I don't have a real good shot at drawing that unit. And so, you know, you might start looking elsewhere. So definitely take a close look at those. And now we have the opportunity to see, see what the proposed uh, re recommendation numbers are ahead of time. So you can go back and look at the jaws. say, okay, do I have a better, better odds than I did last year? Do I have worse odds than I did last year? I think that'll really help people make decisions. Yeah. Do your research. That's the best advice. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Listen to podcasts like this one for research. <laughs> That's what you're going to do. So very good. Um, I appreciate both of you coming on and I will put those resources in the show notes. I'll have the website. I'll have the draw odds link, the hunt planner, and then I'll put your Instagram and Facebook and, and social media websites linked in to the show description. So if anybody listening right now wants to drop down and click on any of those, you'll be able to find them um, right below the show description. So thank you very much. I appreciate both of you coming on. Thanks for the extra few minutes, Lindy. I appreciate it. Yeah. No, thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Thanks, Chad. Let me stop this real quick. Well, that's it for that. Well, that's it for the Utah show. So unfortunately, after recording that show, now I have another state where I think I'll be buying and applying and trying to set myself up in the future so that I, I have another state that I can hunt or at least uh, gather points and, and hopefully set myself up better for the future so I, I have lots of options and opportunities. A couple of things I wanted to touch on a little bit earlier um, we, there was a couple of topics that were talked about and I think we kind of blew past those and I wanted to come back. Um, it was in the, uh, over the counter hunting topics when we were talking about that. So I wanted to come back and clear up a, what a couple of things were. And the first one is we talked about harvest objectives and, and that was for bear and I think cougars and, and maybe a couple of other things, but we didn't really talk about what harvest objective was. Harvest objective, it's the same thing that we've talked about in other states as having a quota. So if you, basically that unit will have a quota, let's say it's five bears or let's say it's 10 bears, whatever, pick your number. When that quota is met, so if it's 10 bears, when 10 bears have been harvested out of that unit, then that unit closes. So if you're coming out from, from out of state and you're expecting to hunt a particular unit, you might not be able to because of that harvest objective. So it's just kind of one of those things. I think um, they it seemed a little bit like they were hesitant to, to really mention it as an over-the-counter option, and it could very well be because of that. If you're coming from, from far away, two days worth of driving, and you're coming out and you're thinking you're just going to show up and pick up a tag for this perfect spot that you found on the map, it might not be available, so you, you might get stuck and end up having to drive on the other side of the state or somewhere totally different into a unit that you're totally unaware with or unaware of. So just be cautious if you're looking at those for uh, opportunities. Those harvest objective hunts are a little bit difficult to get just because you can't really plan for them and, and you don't know. It could be open the day that you leave your house from the East Coast, and by the time you get there, it could be closed because that objective is met. Um, the other thing that we kind of touched on a little bit was the multi-season hunts and the premium hunts. So multi-season is you can hunt multi-seasons, right? You have the opportunity to hunt multiple seasons when you acquire or obtain one of those licenses. Keep in mind though, with the, the multi-season tags is whatever season you're in, you're required to hunt with that particular weapon. So if it's archery season, you can't just pick up your rifle and go hunt it. Um, if it's archery, you hunt arch archery. If it's muzzleloader, you hunt muzzleloader. If it's rifle, you hunt rifle etc right you hunt with whatever is is that particular season so and then the premium tags are just an extension of that they're the limited entry and they're they're really really good tags they're they're premium they cost more money they're way harder to get and they're much much better quality hunts so 
those premium tags are things like we talked about early on when we were talking about deer and the Henry Mountains and pulling 200-inch deer out of those hunts. Those are premium hunts. So um, we didn't really define those. I wanted to go back and hit those and make sure that everybody was aware, especially of that the um, harvest objective over-the-counter hunts because those can be difficult. You have your heart set on it. You've e-scouted the heck out of a certain area. You drive for a couple of days to get there, and you arrive, and that unit is closed. So then you're kind of screwed. So anyway, that is that. Hopefully you enjoyed this Utah show. I certainly I learned a ton by listening to this podcast. I, I really did. I didn't know anything about Utah going into this and coming out of this podcast. I think I'm going to, when, when it opens up, on March 23rd, I'm going to apply and start building points. I figure if I apply and I don't draw, I get the point. Um, so I always will throw my name in the hat in states like that. All right, that's it. I'm out of here. I would really appreciate any reviews that you guys leave. Um, if you leave a five-star review, and um, sometimes those reviews are a little tough on on iTunes. You can't see who wrote it because it puts up just weird names. Uh, if you leave a review, then shoot me a DM on Instagram at Out of State Hunter and let me know what you said in the review. And I've got some stickers. Um, I've got some Out of State Hunter stickers, and I'd be happy to send out some stickers. They're they're pretty cool. But I'm not really putting that out anywhere. I'm just going to talk about it on these podcasts and. Uh, Leave a review. Leave five stars. It really helps the podcast grow. It helps it become more searchable on the algorithms of the Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, all of the other ones out there. So whatever you listen to this on, if there's a if you're able to leave a review, I would I would be very appreciative. And then, like I said, just let me know um, who you are on Instagram, and I'll try to get a sticker out. I've only got about ten of them, so I can't do a whole lot. I am planning to get more, though, so don't uh, don't worry. We will get more. All right, cool. Out of here. Thank you.